0: Uh, We're going to come to the two parables that we've just read soon, but not right away. Uh, First, I want to revisit something uh, from last week. Uh, If you were here last week, then uh, you may uh, recall. If not, uh, it's brand new. It doesn't hurt for us to go over it again. First, I want to revisit what I said. I said something along the lines of, uh, if you are looking for a simple definition of what is the kingdom of God, uh, then a definition that works most of the time is the church, Uh, It's a pretty good fit for what is the Kingdom of God. Uh, The Church is the Kingdom of God. And I more or less stand by what I said last week. Um, It's a definition uh, that doesn't work every time. Another thing I said last week. Uh, To an extent, uh, I need to say I'm learning as I go here. Uh, And not only am I learning about God's Kingdom, uh, I'm learning how to communicate it. So I just want to try and put some more things around that. uh, And hopefully... We're getting towards something uh, that is more helpful. Uh, under God, we continue to approach truth, even if that means making uh, minor corrections and adjustments along the way. So, I want to try and clarify something I've been mulling over. Um, uh, this, uh, you know, the church is the kingdom thing. So, two two things I want to say to clarify, uh, and maybe more things to be said at a later date. But for now, um, the first thing is uh, that thinking about the church as the kingdom, it is more true to say the church is God's kingdom than it is to say God's kingdom is the church. It's more true to say the church is God's kingdom than it is to say God's kingdom is the church. Now, I don't know if that sounds like I'm just trying to be a bit cute or clever or, you know, nitpicky with words or something, but let me illustrate it like this. Uh, It's more true to say all bulldogs are dogs than it is to say all dogs are bulldogs. Uh, because we're moving from a broad category to a a narrow. The narrow fits within the broad, a bulldog is a dog, uh, but the broad doesn't fit within the same confines of the narrow. Uh, A a dog is not necessarily a bulldog. And so the Kingdom of God is the big broad thing within which the Church, as we know it, is one element, the, the narrower thing. So certainly the Church should exist under God as the king, God as the one supreme authority over his church that he established. Uh, All of individual Christians and all church structures submitting to Christ's rule and his holy book, the Bible. Uh, But, uh, like I said, uh, sort of indicated last week, uh, the church does not encompass everything that Jesus means when he describes God's reign as a kingdom. For example, as we'll see next week, uh, God's kingdom will manifest itself in power and with judgment. While the mission of the church in this age is not primarily to cast judgment, uh, but to extend grace and to proclaim God's righteousness so you know that's just to show some of the limitations around that Uh, and so the other thing that I would say the second thing up here to clarify the statement that the church is the kingdom of God is that the church is not so much a definition of the kingdom but a manifestation of it uh, or an application of God's rule so again, as we continue to learn what God is like and what shape his kingdom takes and the various demands and privileges that come with belonging to him, uh, the church is where we should expect to see uh, the purest expression of what the kingdom is, uh, at least in this age. Uh, and as we saw last week, for now, the purest manifestation of God's kingdom is still an imperfect Uh, and sometimes disappointing manifestation of what uh, will one day be glorious and made perfect. But at least we're trying, within the church we're trying. Uh, Outside the faith people might speak of Jesus, Uh, they might even refer to him as Jesus Christ, using his title for clarity's sake, Uh, but we alone call him Lord. And so while we wait... Uh, For the final perfection of the church and the purification of God's creation and the absolute and glorious manifestation of God's reign, uh, God's people, his special domain, is the church. And the church, imperfect as it is, is precious to God. Uh, And so his church and belonging to his people ought to be precious also to us. So anyway... Uh, Let's keep seeking both truth and clarity together uh, as we study God's scripture. I I hope that's added some clarity. Um, I'm always open to feedback and and we can build on this as we go. Uh, But the kingdom of God is a broad thing of which the church is the current manifestation. I thought it was worth working to clarify that up front because in today's parables of the kingdom... We find already a description that uh, is too great and broad to be clearly described as the church. Uh, To to just, you know, substitute the words church into what Jesus describes as the kingdom in these parables, it doesn't work. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is described two times like the discovery of a treasure. Uh, One that's hidden in a field uh, and the other a precious pearl. So yes, to belong to God's church is a precious thing, but it feels very much like Jesus is driving at something bigger and grander than just, gee, what a precious thing to find a good church. You know, that's a good thing, but I think Jesus is, well, it's it's clear that Jesus is talking about something bigger than that, something broader. Uh, Well, Jesus, yes. So we are going to look at two things that come out of these parables. First... Uh, the value of the kingdom, and second, the cost of the kingdom. And as you can easily imagine, the two are linked. Uh, If something has a high value, it is worthy of a high price. It is costly. Uh, So one, the value of the kingdom. What Jesus doesn't go into in either of the parables is what it is that makes the kingdom so priceless. He simply says it is. It is the kingdom is priceless. The kingdom is like hidden treasure that's worth everything to gain it. Uh, even, you know, it's funny in that first parable, uh, something, uh, a question that arises for I think most people as, as they read it, it's like, is that a bit unscrupulous, a bit sketchy or dodgy that this guy um, hides the treasure again and doesn't tell the owner of the field about the treasure? And, you know, but... but uh, you know, we're not here to cast judgment over the guy. He's a fictional person, by the way. You know, Jesus is telling a story, an illustration. But I think, you know, the measures, even maybe cutting corners uh, that this guy takes, uh, I think, to amplify uh, just how worth it is to at all cost uh, obtain the kingdom. So the kingdom is like hidden treasure that's worth everything. Perhaps even cutting some corners. Uh, but certainly uh, going to all and any lengths to gain it. And the kingdom is like a single perfect pearl that's worth everything to own it. So what is it exactly about the kingdom that is worth so much? A few things. Being forgiven is priceless. Being forgiven is priceless. Having the weight of sin and guilt and shame removed is worth more than you own or could ever earn. A clean conscience that comes from doing right but also having your sins forgotten and no longer held against you, simply priceless. Uh, Not just because being forgiven gives you freedom today, but because it gains you access. Uh, And so uh, there's forgiveness is priceless, but also access. Access to the kingdom, access to the Father. To be handed a ticket into God's presence, uh, a welcome into his eternal home, well, that's worth its weight in gold. That's an eternal hope. And you can't touch eternity with money or popularity or adventure or beauty. or You can't even touch eternity with long life. Those things are good, but they fade. Access to the realm of God can't be bought with earthly riches. We've got forgiveness, there's access. Also belonging, to belong. To be counted in God's kingdom as one of his people is also priceless. For those of you who have laboured over gaining citizenship, and there are some people in our church, you know the value and the cost uh, of being uh, accepted and recognised. For anyone who has felt alone, you know how good it is to be invited into a family and to feel like you belong. Uh, And so belonging to God... Having a family and a home, a haven, is priceless. I'd also say this, there there is also a roadmap. The roadmap is worth so much. Uh, This is so often despised. uh, Even by us Christians, we can resent God's instruction. Uh, It's outright ridiculed by the world. But to have in our hands a roadmap for morality and for wisdom is simply sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. I'm using the analogy of roadmap. Another analogy would be a foundation. My word, don't the people around us lack foundation uh, for morality and for knowing what is right and wrong? We can sometimes feel that God's commands cramp our style or impinge on our freedom or even repress our authentic self. But to have a manual by your manufacturer printed in your own language is, again, simply priceless. And I suspect the value, the worth of having instruction for life increases as you get older and as you have to live with more and more consequences of the choices you've made throughout your life. To be given the safety of a secure path through this treacherous world Uh, is priceless. Uh, Remember, the kingdom of God is sometimes called the gospel of the kingdom of God, or the good news. And one way we often summarise the good news of the gospel is by focusing on Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Well, what a treasure that is. That is how Jesus satisfied God's justice and purchased your forgiveness, by being punished for your sins so you can go free. But not only that, Jesus' death on the cross uh, is, uh, is something just to treasure in your heart the proof of one's love. Every person here has had someone give up their life for them. That is an amazing thing uh, to treasure in your heart. It is the proof of his love. And that's, that is a thing to cling on to for dear life and I mean it. The knowledge that you are loved and valued will keep you putting one foot in front of the other like no other knowledge you can have. When the chips are down, when storms and trials come, you can start to question what's the point? Is it worth it? How can I go on? You can start to wonder where the strength might come from to keep doing the things that you know you really should keep doing. And I've tried various motivations in my life. Maybe you've tried some as well. Fear of consequences. Uh, I've even tried to do the right thing out of spite. Uh, Even I've tried to do the right thing out of love. But nothing has kept me straighter or truer or more steadfast than God's love, his unfailing love and Jesus' painfully sacrificial love by which I know I am loved. Those things fuel us and galvanise us and even soften us uh, in all the right ways and in all the right places into just the right kind of person in whatever circumstance life or God or the devil might throw at us. The sure knowledge of the love of God proven and sealed for us that the cross of Jesus our Lord is priceless, a precious jewel. And to take the gospel story just that little bit further than the cross, to a few days later, when Jesus rose again, the treasure there is that you don't need to fear death. Death is not the end, and hell is not your destiny. If your citizenship is in God's kingdom, then you have an everlasting, never-ending, never-dwindling for all of eternity hope and treasure of a life lived in the presence of the glory of God. we know that the kingdom is of uh, priceless worth because Jesus... The priceless, perfect Son of God gave his life to establish it uh, and to take up his throne. Friends, brothers, and sisters, to simply know God makes you filthy, stinking rich. The flip side is that to not know God leaves a person in abject poverty. I grew up thinking I was poor, we never had new clothes always hand-me-downs. Only once did I get to participate in a trendy playground fad at school. Everyone else always had the toys, I never had them, except once uh, when yo-yos got cool uh, and a super old Coca-Cola yo-yo we had lying around at home was old and rare enough to be retro. I treasured that yo-yo craze. Uh, But on a serious note, I was always aware, even from a young age, of the anxiety that my parents felt around money. Incoming bills weighed on my young mind. Uh, Even when we got something surprisingly new or up to date, it was tainted with fear because we were told we couldn't really afford it and we certainly couldn't replace it if it got damaged. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who has memories like this of childhood. Uh, To my parents' credit... Uh, They also highlighted the privileges of our upbringing. Sure, we didn't have the latest technical stuff, uh, but it's good to play outdoors, Uh, and it is. Uh, We didn't get the flashiest holidays, but my parents were mostly around. That was pretty special. Uh, But I say all of this because in my experience as a child and my very limited experience as a parent, teaching children to have the right perspective on wealth is hard. hard. Uh, because I think my parents taught me wisdom, but I still detected fear and I took on anxieties, the, the anxieties that they felt. And I want my kids to know that they are filthy, stinking rich in everything that matters. And for them to really know that without barrier, I need to believe it too. Uh, And I need to embody that. I need to exercise confidence around God's God's provision of finance. I need to not envy other people's toys or holidays or houses. I need to cultivate in my children the sense that church is worth breaking up your weekend for. uh, And that church family is real family. Worth making time for that serving God and others is worth making sacrifices for. In my family, uniquely, that being a minister puts a unique pressure on my family, but also gives us access to depths of joy and purpose that make us truly rich. And so I say, parents, teach your children that they are rich. Not that they are better, but that they are lucky and privileged because they are loved by God and they belong to his family and they have his word and teach your children that stuff by living like it's true for you first because they detect the anxieties we we'll talk about the cost of the kingdom i'm not going to spend nearly as much time discussing the cost of the kingdom uh, in the passage it's just kind of there uh, both men, the one in the field and the merchant looking for pearls, they sell everything they own to gain the treasure they found. But it's a cost that, in the context of the passage, uh, is easily overshadowed by the riches that are gained. In particular, in verse 44, it says, the man who finds treasure in the field, it says, in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In his joy. Does anyone remember Mary Kondo or Marie Kondo? I never watched the show, so I'm not actually certain how to say it. Uh, But I remember people talking about this a few years ago. If I have it right, she was essentially on about tidying up and simplifying life. Is that right? Do I have any nods? A couple of people know. She had a simple method of minimising. Take an object, ask yourself if it sparks joy, and if it doesn't, discard it. But in these parables, there are two men who one thing at a time pick up everything they own and find not a single thing that sparks joy. In fact, everything they own disgusts them because if they hold on to it, it becomes a barrier between them and possessing the greatest, truest treasure. This can, of course, uh, be physical things. Uh, Jesus does at various times instruct people, he instructs one particular rich young man to sell everything he owns to gain the kingdom and the man doesn't do it. He doesn't say that to everyone but he was putting his finger on something for that man. So for you it may be physical wealth. Uh, But we are definitely taught to hold physical wealth very loosely and to pursue it more uh, through prudence than through sacrifice. And so, for example, you get wealthy by not being wasteful or foolish or materialistic, and to the extent that you build wealth, well, you do that through steady accumulation and faithful work rather than by pursuing it through cheating or gambling or by sacrificing your family or your spiritual life to get it. And over a long life, you will get rich like that. You will. But that's not the point. We need... it's not just about physical wealth. Uh, we also need to let go of other things that we might treasure that get in the way of possessing Christ and entering his kingdom. Uh, before meeting Jesus, the Apostle Paul uh, had an awful lot to his name. After meeting Jesus, it was worth nothing to him. I'm going to read uh, from Ephesians, uh, Philippians sorry, chapter 3. This is what Paul says in his own words, he says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, he's talking about something quite particular but, but really uh, in general terms he's saying if anyone else thinks uh, that they have reasons for you know, being important or worthy uh, of God, he says, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, which means scrupulously keeping the law. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, these are all very you know, specific Jewish things that he was hanging his hat on, that he was clinging to uh, for a sense of worth and righteousness. And then he says, but whatever gain I had back then, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ indeed i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ jesus my lord and how's this for a like a rich sense of you know what's truly valuable he says for his sake i have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that i may gain christ and be found in him and he goes on to talk about genuine suffering that he uh, has and will continue to willingly subject himself to for the superior joy of knowing Christ. By the way, uh, when Paul calls Jesus his Lord in verse 8 up there, he's referring to his citizenship in the kingdom of God. Uh, You actually find, uh, you don't find many references to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in those words, uh, in the letters of uh, Paul or or any of the other letters after uh, uh, in the early church. But we find repeatedly that Jesus is referred to as Lord because he is king. Uh, I've come to see uh, putting hope in Jesus quite differently in recent times. I think of putting hope in Jesus more in terms of abandoning hope. It's about abandoning all hope but one. Turning from other hopes, other sources of strength, other sources of joy and turning from them deliberately to seek and pursue joy and hope in Jesus. And I think... Maybe it's just me because I came up with it. But I think that's a really good way of thinking about uh, putting hope in Jesus in terms of equally abandoning hope in all other things. Because there is more to abandon hope in than there is to put hope in. More things, Uh, more hope in Jesus, but more things that we must turn from. Abandon all hope, but one, hope in Jesus Today I want to recap, just to finish, uh, with three stories. Uh, Two stories uh, will sound familiar from the passage and a third story might sound even more familiar to you. Uh, These parables that Jesus uh, taught uh, speak to uh, different experiences of life. So the first, we have a poor man who is surprised by treasure. Picture a man uh, ploughing the field. He's not looking for treasure. He's just got his head down doing work. uh, And he kicks his toe on something and he's taken by complete and utter surprise. This is the man or woman who's going about their life, doing as they please, as they see fit, perhaps seeing nothing particularly wrong with their life at all. But over the course of their journey, someone introduces them to the Lord Jesus. And they're taken by surprise and this person sees and recognizes given eyes to see the superior joy of being loved by and loving and serving Jesus in their life there's another story here so not just the person who is surprised the poor man surprised by treasure but we have a second story of a rich man seeking treasure there's a merchant someone in the business of seeking treasure Who finds it? And picture someone who is looking for meaning, the person who is seeking in their life, and they might be seeking meaning through pleasure and experience, they might be seeking it through philosophy or even through religion. They are looking for meaning and hope, and this person in their search discovers the Lord Jesus and his word and life under his rule. And they are arrested by joy. And they give up all the other pursuits, so they can have Jesus. We've got a poor man surprised by treasure, a rich man who's been seeking treasure. And then a third story, which I suspect might be more familiar to many here. A person who grows up surrounded by treasure and maybe doesn't realise its worth. Uh, Maybe you're a person uh, like me, who grew up in a Christian home, grew up going to church. Church was... Not exciting, not even bad, just normal, just the thing you did. Uh, Being exposed to same prayers just seems ordinary. It is normal to kids to pray. Growing up, not even knowing that you're the lucky one. If you're in that story, not necessarily the person who was never looking, who was lost and poor. Uh, never looking but surprised by the treasure of knowing Christ. Maybe you're not the person uh, who was rich and seeking and searching for treasure and was pleased to finally find the one. But maybe you're a person who's grown up surrounded by it, not recognizing the worth and the value of belonging to Jesus. And the challenge for you uh, is the same as the challenge to these other two men is to abandon all other hope and to learn and be convinced of uh, and to cling on to by faith uh, to the superior joy, the superior treasure of knowing Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, again this morning for your word. We thank you that it is... Uh, a light to our path we thank you that uh, your word is water to our souls Uh, we thank you uh, that it is sweet like honey uh, and more precious uh, than gold Uh, we thank you uh, that this is true of course uh, not merely of your word but uh, but particularly uh, of belonging to your kingdom of knowing that uh, we are loved by you knowing that we are uh, forgiven Knowing that our sin and shame is washed away, has been taken on by Jesus willingly and powerfully uh, and removed from us. We thank you for the hope that is to be found in Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to undertake the task of removing uh, all other hopes from our lives Uh, because uh, they might be good. They might be nice, they might be comforting for a time but they are not hopes that last. They are not things that are worthy of hope. Uh, We pray that we won't be people who put hope in riches. We pray that we won't be people who put hope uh, even in uh, religion or credentials. Uh, That we wouldn't put our hope in uh, popularity or acceptance. We pray that we would put our hope only squarely in jesus and that in him we would find a rock a foundation uh, and also the greatest treasure uh, and the and eternal joy we pray all of this uh, in his name amen